Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. At 88 years old, farmer, conservationist, and author, Wendell Berry surprised many by releasing not one but two books last year. In fiction, he expanded the stories of Port William with How It Went, 13 more stories of the Port William membership. In nonfiction, he gave us The Need to Be Whole, Patriotism and the History of Prejudice. In light of that, I want to revisit an interview with Laura Dunn, the director of the 2016 Barry documentary, Look and See. Let's join David Kern and Laura Dunn. First question then, Laura, is has Wendell seen this film? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I know his daughter, Mary, has seen it and that she's, you know, several of her friends. And I know that um, she's been trying to get her mom to see it. Um, that hasn't quite happened yet, but I know will. So I don't know about Wendell. I don't know. I know that he saw a 22-minute um, kind of version of the film um, that we put together um, a while ago. Okay. So, and he didn't put the brakes on the project at that point, you know? <laughs> um, his question at that time was, um, that he posed through Mary was just, is it clear enough? Is the argument clear enough? Hmm. So I don't think that he was too concerned about all the things, um, that one might think, you know, I think he's, his eyes are squarely focused on the issues and are they coming out clearly? That was what was relayed to me. Um, so that's the extent I, of, of what I know of his opinion of the film per se, but I hope he'll see it at some point. Yeah. I imagine that given that he doesn't have any screens, as you, as you mentioned yeah. in the documentary, it's probably not the most easy thing to do to get him to, to watch something yeah. like this. I don't think he's particularly interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> Do um well okay let, let's talk a little bit about you know given that he doesn't you know care for screens and, and as you mentioned in the film he thinks that uh, screens have something to do with the decline in literacy in our culture um, given that could could you talk a little bit about the difficulty of getting him to work on this because he's famously rejected many proposals for films in the past both uh, from what I understand documentary type projects but also options for his films and and uh, or for his books to be made into films rather. Um, what, what was yeah. it like trying to get him t- to be a part of the project? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a process, you know, it definitely was a process. Um, so I, you know, the, the way it started was basically he, um, had contributed a poem, um, an audio recording of one of his Sabbath poems for my other film, the Unforeseen. And I talked about that before, but, hmm. um, so I had written to him then. So that was the very beginning was, you know, um, what, 12 years ago when I first wrote him a letter asking if I could come visit him. And, you know, so it's a back and forth. I got to meet him then. I brought my audio recorder, not knowing if he would actually record the poem or not, even back then, you mm-hmm. know. And so I think, um, and he did record the poem and we did use the poem. And then um, I reached back out to him. And so there were letters exchanged over time. There were several visits over time. And, um, there was there was the kind of conversation about the idea that seemed positive, and there might be a letter in exchange that seemed negative. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. it was kind of a back and forth. And um, I think the, the person who really, um, I would say, catalyzed the project in the end was Tanya, and hmm. just a friendship that I built with her over time, and and my. Um, sense that she really wanted to see the project done. But, 
you know, it took a while, and it, it, it's sort of a trust-building process, not just with Tanya, but with Mary and mm-hmm. with all the folks there in Henry County. You know, they're not so eager to be videotaped either. It's not like going in with a camera really gives you much status. In fact, yeah. it's quite contrary. Hmm. So, um, you know, so many places you go, it's like you have a camera, people treat you like you're important. Mm-hmm. Not there. It's really yeah. opposite. So hmm. it was a long process. It was many years of um, building relationships not only with Wendell and um, and with Tanya and with Mary, but with their neighbors and with their community. So I, I would say that was the process, and that's definitely my kind of ethic and approach in filmmaking is that, you know, you're really there to be transformed. You're not there with an agenda. You're not hmm. there to capture people. You're more interested in um, freeing them, you know. And so I, that's hmm. my approach, and, and what that means is it's just – really building relationships over a long period of time. With Wendell, it was real early, clear early on, and I had said this in that Kickstarter video, too, that you mentioned, but that, you know, you really have to come to him on his terms and respect him. And um, yeah. and so I had made a promise to him early on that I wasn't going to ask him to walk around on his farm and let me film him. He, mm-hmm. he indicated that that is not something he would want to do, that yeah. it was awkward, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember his exact language. Um, it just didn't, you know, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel authentic. And um, he's just not interested in that as yeah. a medium. So I was respectful of that. And that didn't really phase me all that much. I thought, you know, if you're going to draw a portrait of someone, what you're really trying to do is reflect the essence of that person. And I thought that his um, very clear and formed opinion about screens is a really important part of him. And perhaps, you know, the question is sort of an experimental film in a way. It was like the question is, can you render um, a portrait of someone in, in, in a way that doesn't really utilize the screen in a traditional sense? And if you could, that in of itself would reflect something important and significant about the person. Yeah. We were really taken by, um, I watched it with, um, the second time I watched it, I watched it with, uh, my colleague here, who is actually our graphic designer, and he, but he does a lot. He's actually a professional photographer as well, and he was trained out in the Rocky Mountains and um, is very experienced mm-hmm. at that. So we were really taken with the, the part where he's talking about what makes a great photographer and how it's not about necessarily what you put in the frame, but, from, but the place from where you choose to look through the frame. Yes. And yes. Um, d- one of the things that I thought was a really interesting decision um, a very unique decision on, on your part and, and the part of your whole team was to spend so much time at walking what seemed to be his property or property like it at any mm-hmm. rate. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, you're, we're just seeing it through the, through the camera, you know, it's kind of moving very slowly through it and it, and it puts us in his shoes. Was that, where did that idea uh, come from? Did, I mean, obviously he didn't want to be on camera. Was that, was that just the natural growth out of that having to solve that problem or was that his idea? Was that something that you just were walking and it just happened or was it, yeah. was it the idea all along? Well, you know, um, yeah. Um, you know, I, what I did when I sort of set upon this project was I had read a lot of Wendell's work, but mm-hmm. there was so much I hadn't read. Right, I right. had read mostly fiction. I mean, yeah. I'd, sorry, I hadn't read mostly nonfiction mm. and then some poetry. I had read very little of his fiction and I hadn't really read his poetry comprehensively. And so what I did, um, 
for those first six months was really, I didn't even think about a camera or an audio recorder. I just read, read, hmm. read, 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 hmm. and just tried to absorb the space of his work. And, you know, to me, the Sabbath poems are just so extraordinary and they're so restful and inspiring. And hmm. they're, he talks often about how, you know, he took a week before he takes his Sunday walk. So, hmm. um, he, you know, there's this big theme in his work and certainly not even, I mean, if you look at his fiction, there's so often when characters take these long walks, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and knowing him and reading interviews with him and talking with him, I mean, his long walks through the natural landscape around his home are a huge um, part of his mind. And so that was central to me early on. Was If you were to try to make a film from his POV, imagine the world as he sees it, hmm. then that was an important part. Um, and so, you know, using a study, we use study cams. So the, the cameras, you have a special um uh, cinematographer who specializes in that and and they have a special rig that they use with the camera that where they can walk with the camera and it's smoother so it's not just you with kind of a handheld camera that would be a lot jerkier so it more mimics you know the mind as opposed to just the physicality of camera movement as you're walking hmm. so yeah we did that early on and, and um it's a technique that i had used in my last film because in the unforeseen the poem that we use of Wendell's, it starts off with, I walk the deserted prospect of the modern mind. And the whole poem is this walk through a deserted landscape. Hmm. So um, a lot of his poems take that theme, and we built upon that. And we wanted to, we really wanted the land itself to be a character. And I thought that in order to bring that to the front, you know, to really see the landscapes, the same landscapes change over seasons, was a way to illuminate the landscapes. Hmm. And so we decided early on that we would, you know, each time we were there across the seasons, do more study cam walking through the same landscape. So hmm. you could return to the same place and see how it's changing. Just reflects, you know, a sensitivity to the place um, that we wanted. We felt like it was an important part of Wendell. Did you have free reign over to kind of traipse all over his property? Or how did that no. how did that work? Um, we we were allowed to film there some, you know, um, especially down along the river. Uh -huh. um, but we weren't going to photograph his house in particular because, um, you know, they've expressed a real Tanya and Wendell a real desire to protect their own privacy and live yeah. their own lives in their community. Yeah. They don't want, you know, and there's already invasions all the time, mm -hmm. and they don't want that. So. Um, yeah, we we did walk around property um, that's in the family, you know, without yeah. going into too much detail about all that. But um, yeah. we did we did um, the landscapes in the film certainly are uh, reflective of the landscapes where Wendell walks. Yeah, I can just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that may, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I know he's pretty. You know, there's everybody wants to go. Go, everybody wants to go see Wendell Wendell Berry's property, and I've heard stories of things like, mm -hmm. um, I I have a friend who knows Wendell fairly well and um, lives in, in the Louisville area, and he said that um, there was a couple once who spent their honeymoon night at the end of his driveway. 
or mm, a night on. Yes, so it was yes. just strange <laughs> things like that that you know have have happened. So one of the things that's really yeah. interesting and that you know I, I heard about quite a while ago is there are some some names that are involved in this project um, that that the film enthusiasts among us might recognize. You have, uh, of course, Robert Redford, but then also. Uh, Terrence Malick, who is one of my favorites, is, is listed as an executive mm. producer, I believe, and then and then uh, Nick Offerman, everybody's favorite woodworker. Um, how did how did mm-hmm. you how did you convince those those names to be involved? Was it an easy sell? Well, again, this all stems from my first feature, The Unforeseen, okay. which is about um, Barton Springs and um, water wars here in Austin, where I live, and Terrence Malick lives here in Austin, Right. and um, when I had gotten out of grad school, I went to grad school at UT Austin, and I was just finishing grad school and was wanting to do some volunteer work um, for the local environmental organization, and it was through that that I met Terry. Terry's involved um, in, in Austin and wanting to protect the water here. And so he saw some of my grad student work and asked me to do the unforeseen. That was really his brainchild and wow. was privileged enough to kind of be mentored by him throughout that process. So, yeah, that mm. was incredible because I think like you, he's really one of my favorites. And I can articulate why. I mean, you know, the... He's always reaching for the spiritual, mm-hmm. and he's always, you know, the natural world is always a full-blown character in his films. Mm-hmm. And when I saw The Thin Red Line, it was revelatory to me mm-hmm. as an artist, sort mm-hmm. of reaching for some of those same themes, but with the same sensitivity to, to nature. And so he's just a master, and he's a generous person, and mm. just, gosh, it's been a great privilege to work with him. And, and Redford is um, one of his colleagues, and... Redford learned to swim here in the Barton Springs in Austin. He oh, as a okay. child. Yeah, he spent his childhood summers here. So his um, mother's side of the family is all from here. So he has a real close connection to the landscapes here in Texas. And um, so he, Terry got him involved in The Unforeseen, and I interviewed him for that film. And, and then he, he loved the film and, and then promoted the film with us. Um, so I got to know him a little better. But it really was Redford who, after our premiere of The Unforeseen, asked me, what do I want to do next? If he wanted to support whatever I wanted to do next, which was really an honor. And um, I didn't really have a lot of ideas in the queue. But the one thing I had really thought about was as I toured The Unforeseen, how few people seemed to know of Wendell Berry. And it was so shocking to me. Because he's, to me, just, you know, fundamental. So how could you not know Wendell Berry? And even, you know, these kind of environmentally um, progressive, for lack of a better word, um, you know, film goers. It's like, wow, you don't even know who Wendell Berry is. So I just thought, well, if I'm going to make another film, um, I'd like to draw more attention to Wendell's work in one way or another. And I told Redford that, and Redford... um, was excited about that. He was ready to support it because the unsettling of America when it came out in the seventies was very influential to him. And wow. he, um, in fact, there's a story about him handing out copies of it because he thought it was so important. So he was quick to support that. And, um, like I said, Terry's here in Austin and Terry is one of the people who told me to look again at Wendell Berry many years ago. So those two got involved and I was really grateful for that. And then Nick Offerman, is um talked a lot about his and tweeted and all those kinds of things about uh, Wendell Berry and how important he is to him. Nick is from a Midwestern farming background. Mm-hmm. So um 
the, the themes, the stories, the values reflected in Wendell's work are very close to Nick's heart. And um, so I um, reached out to Nick through a friend here in Austin. He has done some film work in Austin, so he had some Austin connections. And he was real great and got on board real quickly, and it's been awesome, very supportive. Hmm. So, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have those fellows involved. Yeah, and I've noticed you have quite you had quite the team involved too. I mean, I think I saw some there were some people that have been involved with uh, Richard Richard Linklater, and um, mm-hmm. is that is that right? Yes, Lee Daniels, the cinematographer, right, right, and he, he I've, I've known him for a long time. He he shot my other feature. He's in Austin based filmmaker, and he, um, yeah, I mean, it was him and Rick Linklater who started the whole slacker dates and confused right, yeah. those two together. So yeah, he's, 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 um, also instrumental in, um, the Austin film scene, but <laughs> yeah, beyond yeah. he's a real verite cinematographer and yeah, yeah. a dear friend, but yeah, great talent. I, I like that you are on like, you call Richard Linklater, Rick and Terrence Malick, Terry like that. All my film nerd friends are like, I'm going to have to tell them about this. <laughs> Oh my. I don't know. I don't know Rick. I don't know him, but okay. um, I know Lee really well, and okay. so um, I guess I'm used to hearing Lee talk about Rick. Right, right. But I don't mean to, you know, feign some familiarity with him. I actually don't know him. <laughs> well, men, most of my friends are huge Malik fans. Have you seen Night of Cups, by the way? Yeah. No, I haven't. I have to say, I haven't. I haven't seen anything in a long time, but yeah. I would love to see it. Um, so, so back to some specific questions about um, Vasir in particular. How did you decide yes. who to interview? You, um, you have a number of interviews with uh, farmers from Henry County, uh, where where Wendell lives. Mm-hmm. Um, how, mm-hmm. And did he put you in touch with some of those people? Did you have to go hunt them down? Did uh, perhaps Mary did? How did how did that kind of happen? Yeah, it starts with Tanya. It starts okay. with Tanya, um, and then from we go from there. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, um, the way I work in, in this film, just like any other thing I've done, is I just sort of start with an idea, start with maybe a relationship or two, and then just start exploring. And one person will lead to another person will lead to another person. You know, it's not like I have a big script that I then go to shoot <laughs> it's a lot more um sort of intuitive and right freeform than that right um i i think that what is different about this film is that you don't just have a collection of issues or newspaper articles that you're trying to start with I and mean, you're really starting with this amazing body of work right so in in terms of wendell's um Wendell's work. So if I just immerse myself in his work, in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, and read everything I can, it, it really puts a whole lot into your mind, as you know well. Yeah. So I thought, you know, in order for this film to um, do justice to just how Wendell's work has affected me in my thinking, you you really want to point people at the issues that he cares so much about. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a tool. The film itself has to be a kind of tool that is useful and practical. It can't just be a kind of self-indulgent biopic. Right, right. So um, 
I really thought, you know, the, the, the themes in the unsettling of America are woven throughout everything I've read of Wendell's in one way or another. And I thought, you know, the, really the arc of that book in particular was a kind of roadmap for me. Um, there's poetic expressions throughout, and the film reaches for some of those in time. Um, to not just sort of state the, the literal fact of things, but to try to reach and transcend that and look at um, these questions in a, in a more spiritual way. And right. so there's that also. But um, I think that's where the impulse to interview farmers is. Also, it's like if I'm going to try to look at the world as Wendell sees it, it's all right around him. His neighbors are mostly farmers. You know? <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what's there. It's what's in Port Royal and in Henry County. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of farmers, a lot of small family farmers. And um, those are his friends. Those are his neighbors. Those are the people who know him and you know that he, he cares about and writes about. So mm-hmm. that kind of happened naturally. But, you know, specifically, like, give an example of the... Um, um, the, the group of young farmers that I interview yeah. that come later in the film that yeah. I think is very poignant. Yeah, you know, that's that a great took scene. Some work. Yeah, it's great. That took some work. I got to know you know through Mary Berry. She told me to talk to the judge, Henry County Judge, mm-hmm. his name's John Logan Brent. He's in the film, um, and he. I talked with him about wanting to get to know some younger farmers. He made some calls. He hooked me up with the Henry County Ag Extension Office. Okay. He said it was a process, and then they would give me some names, and then I'd have to call all those guys, yeah. try to convince them to show up, then call the judge and ask the judge, please call them and have them show up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of um, legwork that goes into assembling something like that, and a lot of luck. It happened to be raining that day. Uh, so a lot of those guys couldn't be working. It was yeah. too muddy. They couldn't be planting. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, what's given this lady an hour of my time, because yeah. the judge told me to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that, that kind of unfolds that way. I think Steve Smith, um, he is the very first farmer who comes on screen, the one who was a tobacco farmer and then transitioned to a CSA. Um I met him through basically friends of Tanya. Tanya told me to talk to a young farming couple. They told me to talk to their mentor, Steve, and it kind of goes around like that. So um, there's, I could go on, but yeah. that probably gives you a sense of how that unfolded. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was um, really riveting about the doc is, is some of the archival footage. Um, you obviously yeah. have the really great photographs that you're not going to find if you just do a Google search of Wendell Berry, for example. Um, photos yeah. that I assume were taken within the family and perhaps by some of their friends. But also the the doc, I mean, the debate that he yeah. engaged in with Earl Butts. Uh, what was yeah. that? Is that in the, yeah. is that in the 60s or the 70s? 70s. Yeah. So, I mean, 70s. so yeah, we're talking 40 years ago or so. Um, yeah, 79, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was, I, I'm, I'm, for the sake of, you know, this context and for the sake of time, I'm going to simplify, but it seems like um, for Earl Butts, who was, well, he was the head of, um, he was a government representative kind of hoping to change the way we did agriculture. Is that a simplest, I mean, that's a simplistic way of putting it, but is that, for the sake of conversation, does that cover it? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he um, was the Secretary of Agriculture and in the 70s. And, I mean, he was just the face of industrial ag, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, so all ideas around industrial ag, Earl Butts was um, a strong 
proponent for. And one thing that he talked about in the clips that you were that you included in the doc was the idea of living well or living better and how if we can grow more things more quickly um, that it's going to improve the quality of life um, of mm-hmm. all of us, including the farmers. And um, it seems like on the one hand, there's a case that he has something of a case. Um, mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you have Barry really emphasizing as, as kind of a higher good, the idea of, of independence. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that on the one hand, the um, industrialization of agriculture in our country uh, diminishes the independence of these farmers, but it also changes the the nature of, you know, all of us are now much more dependent on these large farms. Um, yes. Do you think, so you have this kind of, in, for, for Wendell, it's all about, you know, the, the idea of independence is a greater good than the idea of living well. And if you, people who have read his fiction, for example, I think would, that's not going to surprise them. But do mm-hmm. you think that since then, since in the seventies, uh, Wendell's views have changed since he said those things? Or would you say that that's still the greatest good for him? Um, for example, I mean, w- how does he feel about things like tractors now? Like, would he own, does he mm-hmm. own, a, you know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't want to say does he own a tractor. I mean, but has, has his, have I, his, his ideas changed, do you think, since then? Um, or do you think he's pretty staunchly feels the same way as he did in the late 70s? I think that's a good question. Um, I think that, my sense is that the fundamental ideas that he spoke there in that debate with Earl Butts in 1979 are the same ideas that he's still talking about. I think that um, it is really remarkable why I wanted to include some of that in that in the film. It is remarkable what he saw then. He saw what is happening now. Yeah. And yeah. how hard, you know, I mean... Back then, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine what other people saw then. But in the in the late '60s, he saw how it would all play out, and it really gives me chills sometimes when I, you really think about that. Like, how did he see all of that? What he yeah. what he saw? Because it's so easy then to say all of this technological advancement is going to help us, right? right? right. Farmers, it's easy to see how the farmers would buy into that because the work is backbreaking and hard, and. Hey, now zoom forward 40 years and you look at a society that is so interdependent with things like iPhones and cell phones and the computer. And you look at the speeding up of all of life and you look at agriculture and the chemicals and the scale mm-hmm. and you look at the decline of family farms and you look at the decline of our health and the decline of our land and our water and our air. You look right. at all this destruction that's in the wake of that industrial model. But how did he see that? How did he see that? So I think that many of the things he said then are as true or truer today. And he has written about that in various prologues to books. Um, right. Maybe a book that he wrote in the 70s, he'll write in the revised edition prologue um, to the Unsung America that mm-hmm. it paints him because the same things are happening and now on a much grander scale. I think the difference between then and now, and it's really Mary, his daughter, who articulated this to me, he's not as angry. Hmm. And he might disagree with that. If if I if he heard me say that, he might correct me, and, <laughs> and that's always a possibility. Um, but I would just tell you that's my sense 
um, from what Mary told me is that he's much more interested in hope and looking at what's hopeful. I think back then too, he felt very alone. She says mm. that in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. he felt very alone. He was saying these things and he didn't have any peers or colleagues really, or maybe had some, but not many. And so, and I've talked to him some about this, like he is surprised in a good way at all the change that's happened even the last 10 years around the conversations about food, farmers markets, so on and so forth. There's been some really positive signs and the yeah. things that people are doing. And, you know, so many of the people who are really trying to make it a better world and their farms and how they live, they're writing letters to Wendell and they're visiting him. Yeah. So he, he's encouraged by that. Yeah, he's not as alone good. and he sees signs that are hopeful. Now, you know, I mean, He's one of the harshest critics of American culture that I know. So it's not as if it's all happy and going in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But he's not as alone as he once was, and, and that, that helps. So what? one thing that I came away, and this, this might have been a problem with me, but I came away from the doc um, wondering if, if Wendell— um, I guess if Wendell were sitting here right now and I were to ask him, you know, the doc lays out how he feels about, you know, industrialization of agriculture, um, where it's left some of these farmers and some of these small communities and, and some of the same things you see, you know, in, in his fiction and in his essays. But what would he say is the way home in 2016? You know, is there a way to, um, to, I mean, to correct, um, to, to alter the way we're going right now and in particular is that what can we what can be done to help these small communities these these as as he puts what he says that we sometimes refer to them as nowhere places in the film which is one of my favorite parts um the most one of the most moving parts it, how 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 would he say we can help renew those communities and and help these small farmers and and I mean, is is there a way, or is or is he basically at this point saying we've ruined it beyond all repair? I don't know. I, I don't think that he would say there's no hope. I think that he, he said to me several times in talking to him that hope is a virtue, mm. and so you must have it. Mm. You mm. must find hope. It's a virtue, so it's non-negotiable. Yeah, and huh. um. So I don't see, see him as a hopeless person whatsoever. Um, I, I think that you'd have to ask him that question, and he'd give you a much better answer than I could possibly give. I think it's the question, you know? I think what you're asking is the same question I'm asking, which is why I made the film. And I'm, Mary Berry is a great person to talk to because she... Um, has started the Berry Center, right, and yeah. she is working with her father, and she's really trying to sort of, say, say, you know, put his words into action and trying to find what are the changes that can be made policy-wise, um, economically. Can you work in, in small scales? Can, she's trying to work in Louisville with creating a better economic connection between the producers and the consumers, the rural mm -hmm. producers and the urban consumers. Yeah. And those connections are critical. And I think it's hard sometimes when you talk about a problem that's so huge in scale, it can make you feel very small and insignificant and overwhelmed. And so I think one of the important messages of Wendell's work is that start right where you are. Start right at home. 
start right in your own kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, work on a small scale where you're accountable, where you, you have relationships and make a difference on your small scale and build outwards. Hmm. I think that's what one of the important messages for me of his work has been. And it's a place where I can cultivate real hope, you know? Hmm. So I think that's one of the messages I, I hear Mary talking when she speaks very practically about it. And she says, you know, you're going to have to look at it place by place. You can't just kind of come up with simply the 50-year farm bill and have that pass, which you right. know, it, it feels like a big mountain to climb. That's right. a piece. But right. that you can't just lean on kind of federal legislation that um, you have to really look at. So, so she's looking at her own local regional agricultural model and working with the mayor of Louisville and hmm. trying to find ways to convince the rural producers that there are other viable ways. Hmm. That's a big part of the battle, too. You know, you have urban the urban consumers who don't really regard the rural communities as valuable. You know, I see that in Austin. I mean, this is the headquarters of Whole Foods. This is where all of the kind of, you know, um, the one percenters, the people with a lot of money who are making all of their enlightened choices by buying organic food. Yeah. And I think that's an awesome first step, but mm-hmm. you rarely hear those people looking at the rural landscapes and the rural communities, much less the rural culture, as having any value hmm. whatsoever. <laughs> and so there's a big disconnect there. And I think one of my big goals here is to, you know, lens the rural place, not just the beautiful landscapes, but the people themselves as quite beautiful and essential part of the conversation. So if people simply from this film want to read more Wendell Berry and, and they think about those rural people who are making their food with a different light, you know, with more sensitivity, um, then that's a step in the right direction. That's kind of where I'm, where I'm coming from. Yeah, we have, a, um, we have a fairly robust farmer's market culture here, kind of just outside of Charlotte here in North Carolina. And um, mm-hmm. where I live, there's, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of stuck between a huge banking center and then to our, you know, the other side of us mm-hmm. is a lot of far, what used to be a lot of farmland. Now it's just land. Um, mm-hmm. But there are still some farmers and, you know, we'll come, to, I'll go to the farmer's market and I'd say half the vendors they all go to the same warehouse to get stuff and then they bring it to the farmer's market. And it feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good that we have a farmer's market. It's it's good that we're doing, um, you know, we have this, you know, much organic food and like we're thinking about where our food comes from, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from these local farmers. So I always try to figure out, differentiate which, you know, which of these vendors at these farmer's markets are the farmers themselves. Like who am I actually contributing towards as opposed to just some big farm that seven different vendors are going to and they're all getting their apples or their tomatoes from some big farm in, you know, South Carolina or something. And I think that... I know what you mean. Hmm? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. No, it's it's a struggle, right? I mean, it's a struggle because you're also trying to balance feeding your family. Yep. And all of the pressures on that. You have kids, I have kids and you, you know, you have to make money and you have to engage in the industrial system. You know, Wendell says it often. He said it in interviews with me, but I've heard him say it in other ways. We're all complicit. We're all part of the problem. And, yeah. and he says that often, you know, you can't get away from it. Even if you have a field of solar panels and you, <laughs> you write eloquently about agrarian life, like you're still turning on your air conditioning, yeah. you know, you're yeah. still using electricity. You're in those, you know, so, so on and so forth. I mean, you can't yeah. escape 
the brokenness of the world. So how do you, you do what you can in your place every day and to try to make it more right. And I think Wendell is an example of that. Wendell and Tanya. People talk about Wendell, but Tanya is, um, oh my goodness. She's, she's really one of my great all-time heroes. And we're, we're talking about sort of starting right where you are. Hmm. And instead of getting overwhelmed, say, okay, I'm going to go to the farmer's market and I'm going to have a conversation with the farmer and I'm going to buy some apples that are a little more expensive than the ones I might buy at Kroger. Yeah. But there's a value that's reflected in that. And yeah. that's an economy that's my home, own home economy that is important. And I'm going to talk to my children about it. Um, one of the great interviews that I did with the film was of Mary, his daughter, one of Tanya's daughter, Mary. And I remember talking to her about this same thing of like, man, you know, how can you just feel totally overwhelmed by all of this? And yeah. she, she talked about raising your children and education in homecoming is a big theme mm. that the Barry family talks about. Mm. Um, and, you know, we don't just raise our kids to go to some fancy college far away and get some high paying job. That what we, and I'm speaking for the berries, like well, we're about teaching them about where they are. Hmm. And it takes time. She said, the wonderful thing about that, it doesn't take money. It just takes time. And she talks about how, you see a little bit in this in the film, but how her parents always showed them what was important. They took lots of walks. They talked about the plants and the land and the farmers and the people. And there was this simple engagement with their own place that they instilled in their children. And both of their children are farmers right there hmm. in Henry County. Hmm. And there's something so beautiful about that to me because it's attainable. It's achievable. Hmm. I can put down my cell phone and get off my computer and just simply take a walk down the street with my kids. Yeah. And I am engaging the world in a meaningful way and it's healing and it's helpful. Yeah. And some people might say that doesn't matter too small scale. And what I, what, what Wendell and his family and his world have empowered me to think is that that's not the small scales where it matters. You yeah. know, that's where things actually count. I, I really loved the, um, the part of the film where Mary described how when they were outside, Wendell and Tanya would always say to, to, to Mary and her, and her brother, you know, look, that thing, that is beautiful. Look at it, see it. Or that thing is scarred and, and is ugly. You know, look at it and, and experience it and see it. And um, it feels like in a way, you know, that's kind of what he's asking. He's always been asking us to do is, you know, see what's mm -hmm, beautiful absolutely. and see what's ugly and, and identify it for what it is and look at it and try to understand why it's beautiful or why it's ugly and how can, what does that mean to us in our, in our worlds? Oh, that's well said, David. I think that's perfect. And I think that um, he's a great teacher in that way, you know? Mm. So my last question, this is the question I want to say mm -hmm. for the end, because I was, so I got to meet Wendell and Tanya at, at our Cersei conference a couple of years ago. We actually gave him an award and he came and read a story which had not yet been published. And uh, uh, so, honey. yeah, so we had this nice dinner and he and, and he and Tanya both came and actually Mary was there. I got to sit next to Mary at the dinner. Um, and one thing I, I was, you know, I was very excited to meet Wendell. Obviously, we had a one-year-old son at the time whose name was Coulter, which is like the, <laughs> you know, the Barry name, like Burley Coulter, Hannah Coulter. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And he, so we got to introduce Coulter to Wendell Barry, and you know, like I, we got to talk, we got we chatted a little bit, and he was like as charming and irascible at the same time as you would think. Um, yes. But I was very taken by by Tanya, as as you know, you seem to be, and how 
mm-hmm. there's this seems like this is not just this is kind of a cliche, but there's a generosity about her, um, a generosity of spirit about her. And so oh, yeah. she, I was extra, you know, I'm even more taken by her now having seen her in the film and the way she seems to be this. Like, she was almost the most um, fascinating character in the whole documentary in a way i mean Wendell's oh, obviously quite fascinating so. but you know <laughs> the interviews with her you know I, I wish there were more of them um could you speak yes. could you speak a little bit to her role um in in uh, in his life but also within the community and you know when when we read wendell's work you know they think of hannah coulter for example i can't i couldn't even mm-hmm. tell you how many women i talked to who love that book and they're like i don't how does he think mm-hmm. this way Mm-hmm. from a woman's perspective mm-hmm. or how does he write from a woman's perspective this way yeah, and i always assumed it was because of probably tanya and the other women in his lives played a huge role in that also mm-hmm. he you know his own poetic imagination helps mm-hmm. but what mm-hmm. has she meant to him and also to their community and to kind of their calling and their vision and, and their life together in terms and his work it's, it's a, that's a super yeah. open-ended question but i would love to hear what you, yeah. your experience with them has <laughs> revealed I am thankful for that question. And I think that if you read his collection of poems called The Country of Marriage, Mm -hmm. you'll get a feel for how important the marriage is, that it's the fundamental building block of all of society. And he Mm -hmm. takes that with the utmost seriousness, and it's been deeply inspiring to me and my own marriage. It continues Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's absolutely fundamental. I think it starts there. I think... I think all of it starts there, you know. Um, Tanya um, was grew up, you know, moving all over the place and grew up in a family of artists. <laughs> Quite appropriate that my little baby's interjecting when we talk about Tanya. Um, but um, she, um, she, you know, her father was the chairman of the art department at UK. She grew up oh, wow, in okay. Northern California. Hmm. She comes from a very sophisticated family of artists and hmm. thinkers and educated so, people. You know, yes, and so when she fell in love with Wendell, and they were traveling all over, they were going to New York, and um, he was teaching at NYU. He's a rising star, you hmm. know. Um, I think that was kind of a picture of what their life would be. But that she talks about this in the film. He felt. He wanted to go home, and mm. she knew. She knew. I mean, that is love, you know, right there. Mm. You say, that's what he needs, and mm. we're going to do it. Because Mary will tell you, I mean, it's really her. She's the one who would plop down in rural Henry County, Kentucky, mm. and made a home for herself. She made a home. She made mm. a home for her and Wendell and their kids. Mm. And um, if you, there's a wonderful essay. I wanted to mention this um James Baker Hall is the photographer whose photos are all throughout our film. He passed away in 2009, but he is a writer and a photographer. He taught at UK for many, many years. Those two, Wendell and James Baker Hall, were closest, dearest friends Hmm. from college on. Hmm. And um, those photographs are all a part of his private archive that um, we Hmm. were able to use in the Hmm. film. So they give you a very intimate lens on the world of Wendell Berry. And when we found those and were given permission to use those, I knew at that point we could do the film. Hmm. But I mentioned that because the closest thing I've ever seen to a really beautiful written portrait of Wendell is an essay that James Baker Hall wrote in the foreword to Wendell's window poems. Hmm. Oh, yes, yes. an essay. It's beautiful. And I love it because it talks about those early days when Wendell and Tanya were first married. And 
Tanya's, you know, embrace of this life that hmm. um, was one was being married to Wendell, which was a unique life and a very dramatic departure from maybe what she had planned. And she embraced it, and she did it, and she um, learned how to do all those things that a country farm wife learns to do. And she hmm. completely embedded herself in the community and still to this day. She, she plays um, the organ at the church, you know. Hmm. She's very involved teaching Sunday school. She's She's the person, you know, anyone you talk to, everybody loves Tanya, but Tanya mm-hmm. loves everybody else. You know? mm-hmm. She's intertwined in the community in a very real and authentic way. Mm-hmm. And she's intertwined in Wendell's artistic process. You know, she she's she's an, an editor. He reads to her what he writes. They work together. She talks about this in the interview I did with her. We might include some excerpts of that in, on the web. Um, mm-hmm. But she's instrumental, you know. She's not just cooking dinner. <laughs> yeah, she's instrumental in the thinking and in the work, in all of the work. So um, she's remarkable and a great inspiration to me. And I should just say, in a culture where women are kind of not valued for their role in the home, that that is seen as a kind of weakness if a woman stays home. Tanya, to me, elevates that in a way that's so important to me personally mm. as a stay-at-home mom of six kids. Mm. I mean, filmmaking is what I do at night. Yeah. <laughs> My day job is um, cooking and cleaning mostly, yeah, you know, yeah. and teaching yeah. young children. Yeah. Tanya elevates the home in a way that I think is critical to mm. a healthy world. I think that, you know, many of our listeners and the people we work with are homeschoolers and, and homeschooling mm-hmm. moms in particular. And I think one of the reasons that one of the reasons that that Wendell appeals to them so much is because he has this deep and abiding respect for the homemaker. Um, and it seems, you know, more and more, it does seem that, you know, that respect is born out of <laughs> what he has experienced with Tanya and what she has kind of shown herself to be and meant to him. Um, and it, it definitely mm-hmm. seems that, you know, in some, like, you know, in some of these, um, some of these characters, you know, whether it's Hannah or Hannah Coulter or whoever, you know, whatever other thing, Maddie Chatham or whatever, that there's got to be something mm-hmm. of, of Tanya yeah. in them. Well, you know, and I think it goes back to the whole idea of like why we made the seer the way that it is. And if you look at that image, you know, that Wesley Bates engraving that's so, so perfect. Mm. Yeah, those mind, are beautiful. I'm not our work's perfect. Wesley's work, but the, the, what I did, the portrait where it's like Wendell's. The man is turned away and his coat and everything about mm. him is, is mm. the drawings of the place. Mm. I think that it goes back, you know, this idea we were talking with Wendell early on, like he would say, and again, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember his exact language and his language is far better than mine could ever even approach, but that, you know, I am nothing if not for those people around me, for my place and the people around me. And that's hmm. truly a kind of the ecological worldview that is missing. You know, we live in a place that's all about the individual, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the self-individuated. The fulfillment of democracy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yet I don't think that Wendell is Wendell without Tanya. Hmm. And I think that it's in that relationship with others. You know, you have to have a humble heart to not see yourself as the hero of your own story. Hmm. but rather as a piece of a much, much larger story. Hmm. And I think yeah. that um, everything about Wendell's writing, where he comes back again and again to community and membership, is 
teaching us that and reminding us of that, of how small each one is. And, um, and I think that in the fundamental marriage relationship that, that you see that, like I, this doesn't work without her. <laughs> hmm. I, I don't see how it, it works without that, that other person. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've kept you for longer than I said I would. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning Dog Long Ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Circe Podcast Network. <laughs>